Reading this morning from Acts 2, 14 through 21. But Peter, standing with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed them. Men of Judea and all who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and listen to what I say. Indeed, these are not drunk, as you suppose, for it's only nine o'clock in the morning. No, they've spoken through the prophet Joel. In the last days it will be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men and your old men shall dream dreams. Even upon my slaves, both men and women, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show portents in the heavens above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and smoky mist. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the Lord's great and glorious day. Then everyone who calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is a word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Dear Lord, help us to um, imagine what it would have been like for us to be in that room with Peter so long ago. Holy Spirit visiting upon the crowd and everybody starting to praise you in all kinds of languages. It must have seemed like just an amazing commotion. So much so that Peter had to stand up and tell people that the ones who were acting like that weren't drunk, but they were just filled with your spirit. And then lo and behold, if he didn't tell the crowd that your spirit was going to come out on everybody, young people were going to see visions and old people were going to dream dreams. Help us, Lord, in these few moments together to understand what that means for us today. What will your dreams be like for us? How will we respond? Speak to us, Lord. Your servants are listening. Amen. During our um, worship series that begins today called Dreamcatcher, we're going to we're going to be borrowing a Native American tradition of the dream catcher. As I explained with the, um, with the children earlier, the dream catcher is meant to be a, a catcher of dreams, if you will. Uh, it was originally, the first dream catchers were made by the Ojibwe uh, people in North America. There, there are still a number uh, in that tribe. They, they live primarily in the southern part of Canada, up around the Great Lakes, and also in the northern part of the United States. They, they ostensibly began the tradition, but many other Native American uh, tribes and cultures kind of took that on, and it became part of their culture as well. And so they would create these, these uh, circles with a web inside, and the legend goes that there was this uh, spider woman that would 
would weave this web in the middle of the circle and catch the bad dreams. And then the good dreams would come through and they would go down the strings and the feathers and fall upon the sleeper. And then when the sun would rise in the morning, as I told the children, the sun would basically burn away the bad dreams that were caught in the web and they would disappear. As I said, um, uh, my plan is to sort of borrow that tradition over the course of, of this worship series. But that's, you know, that, uh, that may uh, seem strange, but yet isn't that the way it has occurred throughout history? Many, many cultures, religions, uh, people uh, will take on the traditions of others and then give them new life, maybe new meaning, maybe reshape those traditions in, in different ways. And uh, so we'll be looking at the dream catcher and how it uh, maybe uh, enlightens our faith as Christians as well. But, but let, me, let me suggest, for instance, because you might think, well, Christianity doesn't do that. Well, let's take, for instance, Christmas. Um, there's nothing in the Bible that says that Jesus was born on December 25th. Um, probably, in fact, many scholars believe that probably he was born in the springtime because the shepherds were out in the field at night. Um, but but we, we don't know. The scriptures don't tell us. But why, why do we celebrate Christmas on December 25th? Well, uh, that was the time of the Roman festival Saturnalia. Uh, it was a time of celebration of the winter solstice, which fell on December 21st, still does. Uh, December 21 is the, the longest, no, the shortest day of the year, the shortest day of the year. And then starting right after that, the days start lengthening. It, it's kind of ironic, isn't it? When our winter begins, the days are actually getting longer rather than shorter. But that, would, that was a time of celebration for the, the sun that is rising and, and it's going to be above the horizon longer. And, and so it was a real festival. And so the Christians, they, uh, well, we, we sort of borrowed that tradition and we made that a time to celebrate the rising of the sun, S-O-N, the son of God. And so we celebrate the birth of Jesus on December 25th. What about Easter? Easter, that's uh, probably the most holy of our days as Christians. But Easter itself, the word Easter comes from, well, comes from a, um, a Germanic goddess of fertility. And her name was Esther, or E-O-S-T-R-E. And what was her most prominent symbol? The rabbit. Fertility God makes sense. And also, uh, like it, uh, the egg. The egg is a symbol of fertility. And how many of us have Easter egg hunts uh, on Christian church lawns? Um, the word Easter itself is, in fact, from the word, the Greek word, Pascha, which literally means Passover. In fact, there are many uh, in the Greek Orthodox Church and other, and other places where that's the word that's used for Easter is Pascha, not, not Easter in, in English. Um, so you, you see, Easter, it, we, we've sort of borrowed Passover from the Jewish people, the remembering, celebrating the, 
the freedom of the Hebrew people from slavery in, in Egypt. So we Christians, we have a, a way of borrowing traditions from other religions, other people. Um, I like to call it baptizing uh, other traditions. We, we have baptized these traditions. Even our holy meal of holy communion is a commemoration of the Last Supper, which is, in fact, the Passover Seder. And so we've sort of borrowed that meal from the Jewish people, and we've given it a Christian meaning. It means something very significant to us as Christians. We, we don't take anything away from these other traditions and religions but we give new meaning to them. Well, and that's why, if you notice on the cover of our bulletin, the dream catcher has a cross in the middle. That would not be uh, typical or traditional among Native American people, but that has been added because as Christians, we are adding this, this understanding that it's not a spider woman that's going to catch our dreams, but it's God and through Christ that we will receive the dreams and the visions that God intends for us. When Peter stood up on that first uh, Pentecost day and told the people, these people are not drunk, but it's the Holy Spirit that has come down upon them. He was telling them that the Holy Spirit was going to bring them dreams and visions. In the last days it will be, Peter says to the people, that God will pour out my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Young people are going to see something out there that God is giving to them through the Spirit. And even old people, they're going to, they're gonna, as they close their eyes, they're going to they're gonna have dreams of something wonderful, something that God has in store for all of us. In the Bible, dreams are often used by God to speak to people. So I'd like us to take a, look, take a look at some of the examples that we have in the Bible, and there are a lot of them, and I'm only going to share some of them. For instance, Abram. Remember before he became Abraham, as he entered into a relationship with God, God sent him a dream. And in his dream, God says to Abram, if you follow me, if you leave behind your kinsfolk and all the things that provide security for you, if you go where I lead you, then I will give you offspring that will number like the stars in heaven. It was through a dream that God spoke to Abram. And when Jacob got into trouble with his older brother by stealing his birthright, and when he had to flee for his own life and his own safety, as he found his, himself out in, the, out in the desert, out in the wilderness, wondering what's going to happen to him, feeling all alone, he, he puts his head down on a rock and he dreams a dream of a ladder reaching up to heaven. And angels are coming down and up and down. And when he wakes from his dream, Jacob says, surely God is in this place. He finally realizes he's not alone. And so he sets up a rock there and he says, I'm going to call this place Bethel, which means house of God. 
later his son Joseph, who is perhaps Jacob's favored son, has all of these dreams and he's been given the ability to interpret them. And he has these dreams of of sheaves of grain representing all of his brothers and they're all bowing down before his sheaf of grain. And another dream he has of the sun and the moon and all the stars bowing down before him and his brothers can't stand him because of it. But what he sees in this dream is that God is telling him that that something's going to happen in his life that's going to be wonderful, and he doesn't even realize it yet. Well, of course, his brothers don't realize it either, and so they, they sell him into slavery. And eventually, he finds himself in the court of Pharaoh, interpreting Pharaoh's dream of of seven fat cows coming out of the Nile only to be eaten up by seven scrawny dying cows. And, and Pharaoh has another dream of, of seven grains, stalks of corn, and, and they're so wonderful and plentiful. And then seven scrawny dying ones withering, and they come up and they just gobble up the good ones. And, and, and Joseph says to Pharaoh, it's clear what God is saying to you. You're going to have seven years of plenty followed by seven years of of famine. So you're going to have to prepare. You're going to have to store away during the years of plenty for the bad years that come. And so Joseph puts him over all of the land of Egypt to be in charge of the storehouses. You can almost imagine Joseph remembering those dreams of the stars and the sheaves of grain bowing down before him. Later, Gideon is in charge of an army of Israelites that are going up against a a mighty foe, the Midianites, and he has no reason to think that he will be successful. But a man in his company comes to him and says, I've had a dream, Gideon. In this dream is there was a barley barley loaf, and it it rolls down down the hill into the Midianite camp, and, and it bumps into a tent, and the tent just collapses. And Gideon says, I know what God is saying through this dream, that God is going to provide victory for his people. And indeed, that is what happens. And when Solomon doesn't know how he's going to lead the people as he takes over from David, the throne of Israel, He has a dream and God comes to him in his dream and God says, what do you want me to give to you? And and Solomon says, I don't need anything. I just need some wisdom. Give me wisdom. And God says, well, the fact that you've asked for wisdom and not for riches, you'll get wisdom and you'll get so much more. All of this from a dream that Solomon had of God speaking to him. In the New Testament, Joseph has a dream to take Mary as his wife, even though the child within her is not his. He later has a dream to take that child when it is born and flee to Egypt. Both of these dreams are dreams that God gives to Joseph to to give him a sense of direction, where he's to go and how he is to be protected. And when the Magi come bearing their gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh, when they prepare to return to their home, it is in a dream that they are told by God to go in another direction, not to go back to King Herod, who means Jesus' harm. And later, 
One of the most important disciples of Jesus, Peter, has a dream of a sheet coming down from heaven filled with all kinds of animals, and he's told to eat them, even though his Jewish religion tells him that so many of the animals in that sheet are not clean. They're not meant to be eaten. And God says, don't you dare call what I have made unclean. And when he comes out of his dream, a knock comes to the door, and he's called to the house of Cornelius, a Roman centurion. Someone he probably would, never would have gone to if it had not been for the dream. And he goes to this house of an unclean Roman centurion and he shares the gospel of Jesus Christ and the whole house is converted. And finally, the Apostle Paul, perhaps the greatest of our Christian missionaries, when he finds himself on the shores of Troas in what we call Turkey today, wondering where he is to go. In a dream, a man from Macedonia, what we know of as Greece today, is calling to Paul, come over to Macedonia and help us. And so when he wakes from his dream, he immediately gets into a boat and he makes his way toward Europe. Because of that dream, the gospel of Jesus is brought to Europe and ultimately will find its way to the shores of America. Don't you see, in every instance, every circumstance that I've shared with you throughout these these stories of dreams and visions in the Bible, in every instance, God's dream is meant to help us. The dreams that God sends our way are not just simply so that we can, you know, kind of ponder, but they are meant to help us. They're not the bad dreams that get caught in the web, but they're the good dreams that God is giving to us, giving us direction. They help us be productive as they did with Abraham saying your offspring will number like the stars in heaven. They they help us realize that we're not alone like Jacob when he was out on, on on that night desert wondering how he was going to survive having this dream of the ladder. God's dreams help us get through hard times like with Joseph being sold into slavery by his brothers. They give us faith in our future as God gave hope to Pharaoh and the Egyptians in the dreams that were presented for Joseph to interpret. God's dreams promise victory in our battles, our personal battles and our battles of of faith, just as Gideon was helped with the dream of the barley loaf rolling into the Midianite camp. They help us by offering us wisdom as Solomon was given in his dream. God's dreams assist us in escaping the pitfalls and the, and the dangers that come our way, such as with Joseph and Mary. And they also tell us where we might go, as with the Magi. They lead us to people and places where we may not want to go, like Peter going to Cornelius or Paul to Macedonia. We need such dreams. We need a Peter to stand up in our midst and say, I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy and your young men shall see visions and your old men shall dream dreams. Our world needs more dreamers. And the kingdom of God is God's ultimate dream, God's ultimate vision for our world. 
It's a place of forgiveness and place of mercy and compassion and justice. It's a place of acceptance and peace. You know, Jesus spent his whole life talking about the kingdom of God. When he stood up on that hillside uh, for the Sermon on the Mount, it was all about the kingdom of God. Jesus was trying to show us the vision of God's kingdom. And he didn't just talk about it, but he showed us. He lived the kingdom of God. He embodied God's vision, God's dream for our world. So this is my question for you this morning. What is your dream for your life? What is the vision that God is giving you for how you are to live out your life? What is your dream for this church, for this congregation? What is your dream for our world, for our nation? The world needs more dreamers. Let's see one of these dreamers.
In a time when there are too many voices who want to divide us with hatred and fear, we need people to dream God's dream. The world needs more dreamers. Let us pray. Lord, help us to dream your dream. And may you change the world. Amen.